Well, good morning. My name is Ben. I'm the, the music and ministry coordinator here at Christ Church. Um, at this time, I'll invite you to, um, take a, uh, to turn to the back middle portion of your, of your worship guide. There you'll find the scripture readings, um, which we're going to read in just a minute. But before we get to that, uh, chances are, before you showed up to church this morning, um, you checked Instagram, Twitter, maybe uh, another social media site. Um, yeah, m- maybe you were listening to a podcast, uh, turn on the TV, uh, a music, radio. Um, it's not that any of these, these things are, are, are bad or, or wrong, but I must admit it feels near impossible to escape the constant bombardment uh, of noise and messages in our world. They're, they're everywhere. We live in a time where so many people, so many things are vying for our attention. And this ultimately does leave us with a bit of a problem. Because whether you're here this morning as a Christian or not, we all need to decide who or what we'll listen to. Or better yet, who or what we'll follow. Religious, irreligious, you, you cannot escape that question. All of us have something that guides our lives. It's, it's not a question of if you will have something, but rather what will it be? Or ultimately, who or what will you serve? Well, as Mike already mentioned, uh, today is Ascension Sunday. And on this day, we celebrate Christ rising from earth into heaven to sit on his throne at the right hand of God the Father, where he's given dominion and authority and power to rule over all things. In this ascension, Christ is claiming kingship over all. And so each one of us then must decide whether we'll follow Christ or something or someone else. It's my hope this morning that that through our time together, as we look more closely at the ascension, we'll see that not only are are Christ's claim of his kingship true, but that Christ as king is incredibly good news for us, because he is the king that we need. He's the only one who can save us and lead us to glory. So to to help us with this task, you'll notice in in our worship guide that there's three short passages, and these deal uh, directly with the ascension. So I'll invite Alistair up. Uh, He's going to read these passages for us. Um, But as he comes up, let me just pray for us as we read God's word. Heavenly Father, uh, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are, are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. So the first passage is Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11, which describes the ascension. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then reading from Daniel 7 verses 13 and 14. And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. 
And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And then from Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, Patrick uh, Schreiner, in his book, The Ascension of Christ, he likens Christ's ascension uh, to the famous Disney movie, The Lion King. Um, The Lion King, it it tells a story of a king's ascent. Uh, From the moment the movie begins, Simba is branded as the heir to the throne. He is designated uh, to this office by the baboon Rafiki, who lifts Simba up before the animals of the kingdom as they bow before him. As Simba grows up, he, he, he encounters some trouble on his journey to the throne, and eventually he battles his uncle Scar and the evil hyenas for the throne. Now, not to give uh, it away if you haven't watched it yet, but Simba wins the battle. But even though Simba has been designated, even though he's been appointed as king, even though he's now defeated his enemies, his work remains incomplete. In order for Simba to claim his kingdom, he must ascend Pride Rock, the rightful place of the ruler. And in the last scene of the movie, this is what we see, that Simba does ascend Pride Rock, and he roars, and when he does so, the other lions acknowledge his victory, his dominion, and his authority. Of course, we don't have to look back to an old Disney movie to see this. Uh, Just a few short weeks ago, a similar ceremony took place in England at the Westminster Abbey, albeit with fewer lions and monkeys and other animals. (laughs) Charles III, he was installed as king. And like Simba, Charles was was branded as the heir to the throne. From birth, he was designated as the future king. And now, he has ascended to the throne and is the king. In a better way, (laughs) Jesus is designated as the king uh, and lord from the beginning of the gospels. And throughout scripture, God declared that that Jesus was great David, the great king of the Old Testament, greater son. The king who God's people were waiting and longing for. Although Jesus, at this point in Acts, had accomplished his mission on earth, he still had to be installed, enthroned, and recognized as king. He had to ascend to the right hand of the Father, sit on the throne, and receive from him all dominion and authority. Jesus' ascension is far more significant than, uh, than Simba's or even the coronation of King Charles III. By ascending the throne, Christ is claiming to be our king. And so again, we must decide if we will serve him or if we'll serve another. As we contemplate this, this important question this morning, uh, we'll, we're going to look at three characteristics of the ascension. And that's that Jesus' ascension is physical It's powerful, and it's personal. So Jesus' ascension is physical, it's powerful, and it's personal. So first, it's physical. Um, If you've been attending Christ Church uh, throughout our Luke series, 
And if you've been listening to, to Mike's introductions, you'll know that Luke writes based on eyewitness accounts. Um, he writes an accurate historical account of Jesus' life so that we can have certainty regarding uh, the things of Christ. Well, our first text, Acts, is actually written as well by Luke. Uh, Acts and Luke, it's really part one and two of the same book. But what's important for us is that Luke writes in the same way. He writes an accurate historical account based on eyewitnesses. He's carefully researched this event, and now he tells it in written form for us. All that to say is what we have here at the beginning of Acts is a real historical account of Jesus' ascension. Um, this isn't some sort of weird, like, time travel or, or space travel or some other sort of oddity, but a real physical event that the disciples witness. Jesus was taken bodily into heaven. Now, you may ask, why does this matter? Well, uh, Jesus' physical bodily ascension is significant for a couple reasons. If Jesus' ascension is a real historical event with a real physical body, then it's also a confirmation of Jesus' bodily resurrection. If Christ was not bodily resurrected, he could not bodily ascend into heaven. In, in the Gospels, we read that after his resurrection, Jesus appeared physically to disciples uh, on many different occasions. And although his body was, was somehow slightly different, it was still physical. Um, we read uh, uh, that at times he's not recognized until he speaks. Um, he seems to kind of suddenly appear and, and disappear, even, even going through closed doors. So he, his body is different, but it's still physical. He eats fish with the disciples. Um, the scars on his hands and on his feet and on his side, they're still there from his crucifixion. And the angels uh, in, in verse 10 and 11 of our, of our first text confirm this. But there is a physical event, and, and in fact, they tell us that just as Christ is physically ascending into the clouds, he will return in the same way, in his physical body. So a bodily ascension confirms a bodily resurrection, and this has implications for us. Um, Ignatius, he, he was a, a first century church leader in Antioch, and uh, while he was being escorted to his execution, where he would die as a Christian martyr in Rome, uh, he actually wrote several letters, and in one of these letters, he actually asks the Roman Christians to let him die. In other words, don't intervene, uh, let me die as a Christian martyr. And this is what he says, he says, allow me to receive the pure light, for when I have arrived there, I will be a human being. Now, what in the world does Ignatius mean by this, by becoming a human being? Of, of course, is he not already a human being? Well, one commentator, uh, when writing on this, this is what he said, in fact, none of us are, are really human beings. We were created as human beings, but we lost the fullness of our nature. Through the sin of Adam, death now corrupts our bodies, and sin spoils our souls. Right? It took a second Adam, Christ himself, to become fully human and to show what it means to be human. In his body of flesh, he started a new creation, and is now the first fruits of the dead. In the resurrection to come, we will follow Christ, our first fruits as the full harvest. We will become incorrupt and immortal. So what's Ignatius trying to say? Well, he's saying it matters that Christ's body remains physical, even after his ascension into heaven, because we will follow him as such, as humans. 
In short, at the resurrection, we will all become human beings in this fullest sense. We will become what Christ is in his glorified body. We will become what we were made to be. See, why do we spend so much time uh, listening to all uh, the messages our world offers? I think it's because we know that something isn't right, and we want to fix it. We want to fix that thing, or we want to fix ourselves. We're trying to improve things one way or another. Because the reality is our our, our bodies, for one, they're messy. They need constant feeding, exercise, and and sleep. Um, They can smell. uh, They can break down and age, and often they're riddled with pain and disease. But Jesus' bodily ascension reminds us that these ills will one day end, that we will become what we were made to be in the fullest sense. Jesus, right now, he sits at the right hand of God the Father in bodily form. Right, The word became flesh, but the word remains flesh. Jesus is the forever God-man, and his perfected humanity is the down payment of our own. It's a reminder that those bodily ills and troubles that we all endure will one day be no more. And so a, a physical bodily ascension means that Christ really was raised from the dead and that his glorified body is now the same fate that awaits those who trust in him. So the ascension is physical, but it's also powerful. If Acts, this first passage, gives us a vision of the ascension from below the clouds, let's say from an earthly perspective, so to speak, our second passage from the Old Testament prophet Daniel gives us a picture from above the clouds, really from heaven itself. As Alistair already read, this is what Daniel says, Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, that's, that's Christ, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. See, the ascended Christ is supremely powerful. As the ascended king, he's sovereign over every part of creation. He's the king of kings, the lord of lords, the ruler of heaven and earth. He reigns over earthly prime ministers and presidents and kings and queens and any other powerful person that you can think of. Nothing in this world happens outside of his hand or his plan. Nothing can overcome his power. He speaks, and it is so, by the very power of his word. See, Christ's ascension is not a a retirement party, kind of marking the end of his work. It's a coronation which brings about a new, powerful era of his kingship. Christ, he's so unlike any other ruler we know or can think of. Uh, His power, dominion, his authority, uh, really are anything beyond we can even imagine. He alone has the power uh, to bring about what he wants, right? He speaks, and it is so. And yet, he rules in such a way where where if you're a Christian here today, even the bad things that he allows to happen will ultimately be used for your good. But in addition to this cosmic, universal rule over all, Scripture tells us uh, that Christ rules his church in a particular way. Although uh, the world around us can point us to to the rule of Christ, we actually see his rule most clearly in the church. 
And this is exactly how it's designed. The, the church is called to be his kingdom, his royal family, so to speak, here on earth. Um, and he rules the church as king by redeeming, protecting, and preserving his people, as well as by defeating our enemies. Christ is the powerful king who, who brings salvation to his people. Right? His work is gathering up a people for himself, the church. He now rules over the church and through his church by his word and by his spirit. He's given us his word, which tells us what we should believe and how we should live. Not only that, Jesus has sent his spirit to indwell believers. And this is what we'll look at next week at Pentecost. Because the spirit equips believers to believe what we ought to believe and live how Christ commands us to. Back to our first passage in Acts, we get a bit of a glimpse of this because Christ promises the Holy Spirit to his people and then he explains that they will be his witnesses. Another way to say it, that they will proclaim his rule in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to actually the very ends of the earth. So Jesus rules his church in a particular way and now accomplishes his purposes through the church by the power of the Spirit. Uh, Chris Gansky, he's, he's an American pastor. This is what he writes. He says, God has chosen and ordained the church to be the instrument for carrying out his purposes in the world. Like a magnifying glass that, that concentrates the heat and light of the sun in one location, so in the gathered life of the church, the heat and light of heaven are most concentrated on earth. This means that the life of the local church should be an eschatological outpost, in other words, a preview to the world of the world to come. That means if you're a Christian here today, that you're a part of the church, which is Christ's kingdom. And as such, you're called to hail him as king, to worship him, to serve him, to listen to him, and to live like him and for him, witnessing to the world around us his powerful rule over all creation. Daniel's picture from above the clouds is a scene of supreme power, victorious triumph, and glorious worship. And it shows us that the entire universe has been reorganized around Christ. And as the church, we not only have a front row seat to his reign, we're called to participate in it. And so the ascension is physical, the ascension is powerful, but it's also personal. As Christ ascends to rule and reign, he does so not only as our powerful king, but as our great high priest. Christ, who now sits on the throne, is our mediator, the one between God and man who intercedes for his people. Uh, we actually sang about this reality already this morning. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. See, Christ rules with power, but he also rules with grace. Priests in the Old Testament, uh, they offered gifts and sacrifices for sins on behalf of the people in relation to God. The priest was the mediator between God and the people, and as they offered sacrifices on behalf of the people, they were demonstrating God's mercy by punishing an innocent animal in the place of a guilty human being. But the Old Testament uh, priesthood, and sacrificial system was not the ideal. At that time, um, individual Israelites actually could not enter the most holiest places and enjoy the fullness of God's holy presence. 
More importantly, uh, the sacrifice of these innocent animals didn't actually cleanse the people of their sin. Rather, the sacrificial system, these sacrifices, they ultimately pointed to the one who would come and cleanse them from their sin. Jesus, who not only gives himself as the perfect, complete, and eternal sacrifice at the cross, but in the ascension is given as our great high priest who brings us in to the presence of God. This is what our third text, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, this, it drives home this point. Right? It says, since we then have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. See, we can come together in worship like this on a Sunday morning or even privately in your home. We can come together to God through prayer because of the ascension. We come in Jesus' name. We don't come on our own strength or our own own record. We don't come because of the good things we've done this past week or the nice things we've said. We can only come in Jesus' name. Because the truth is, if, if we're honest with ourselves, we live more like traitors than loyal subjects. So often we reject Christ's kingship. We pursue false kings, kings with no real actual power, because we think, we believe the lies that they, or ultimately we, know better than the one who actually has power and dominion and authority over all things. See, sinners like you and I, we actually don't deserve to enter God's presence. But more than that, we can't enter his presence on our own. He's too holy. We would certainly die. But the supremely powerful king of the universe gives his life for yours as a sacrifice and now intercedes as our mediator so that we can enter into God's presence, not with fear or uncertainty, wondering, you know, what might happen with us if I come to church or if I pray to God, but rather we can come with with confidence, with joy, And with thanksgiving, recognizing Christ as our great high priest, our mediator who intercedes on our behalf. Christ, he clothes us in his royal robes of righteousness so that we might be presented as holy and blameless in the sight of our Father. The ascension is physical, it's powerful, and it's personal. The king offers his life for yours. The New Testament really, in a way, is a collection of books that that actually apply the ascension of Christ to all of life. Um, Its implications are immense, far-reaching, and the ascension really stands at the heart of the Christian faith. And in some ways, we've really kind of just scratched the surface here this morning. Uh, There's really so much more that could be said. But I want to finish with the question that we started with. Who will you serve? Will it be Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling with power and grace? Or will it be something or someone else? The truth is, uh, there's no real middle ground. Barbara Boyd, uh, she worked and served at uh, at an organization called InterVarsity for over 40 years. Um, InterVarsity is actually a a college and university ministry that... um, 
yeah, seeks to share the good news and advance the kingdom of God on university and college campuses. And part of her role, she, she led an incredible amount of studies and talks and worked with, with many, many students. But she often left people with this thought. And it's this. So if the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 92 million miles, so if that 92 million miles was represented by the thickness of one piece of paper, the diameter of our galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. Our galaxy is actually less than a speck of dust in the part of the universe that we can see, and it's believed that that, that the part of the universe that, that we can see might just be a speck of dust compared to the entire universe. The size of our universe is incomprehensible. But if Jesus is the ascended, reigning, and ruling king, who holds all this together with the word of his power, is this the kind of person that you can ask into your life to simply be your personal assistant? Right, the answer, of course, is no. If Jesus is the ascended, ruling, and reigning king, interceding on our behalf, and he is, then we must give our ultimate allegiance to him. We must center our lives on him, around his kingdom and his commands. We must hail him as king, the king of kings and lord of lords that he is, worshiping him and seeking to expand his kingdom here on earth. The stakes, they're high. How you view the reigning and ruling Christ is not simply a matter of personal preference, but it's actually a matter of life and death. Jesus is returning just as he went up. And when he does, he'll return to judge the living and the dead. Who will you serve? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that in Christ we have a reigning and ruling king who works all things together for the good of those who trust in him. More than that, we have a king in Christ who graciously lays down his life for ours and now intercedes on our behalf. By your spirit, would each of us here hail him as king all the days of our lives and live lives of worship and mission for the good of our king and his kingdom. We ask this in his name. Amen.